0: This week on Oi, Spaceman, The Face of Evil, written by Chris Boucher, directed by Pennant Roberts. The Doctor arrives on a planet where two tribes, the Savage Seva Team and the technically brilliant Tesh, are at war. He meets Leela, an exile from the Seva Team, and discovers that their god of evil is apparently himself. You're listening to Oi, Spaceman, a Doctor Who love story. A nerdy podcast hosted by a husband and wife team who take a loving but critical look at all things in Inuville. We're sex positive, queer friendly, and not afraid to speak our minds. Warning, naughty language, spoilers, a general disregard of all things Stephen Moffat and other adult content may lie within.
1: Did you say that the director's name is Pe- Pennant?
0: Pennant Robert.
1: Pennant like, like like a flag?
0: Like Pennant, yes. That's his name.
1: Somebody named their child Flag? Yeah, hey, so. yo. Girl.
0: Actually, this is a (laughs) a really good way, because we should stop making fun of people's names on the podcast.
1: Oh, that is true. Am I bad about that?
0: Well, I'm really bad about it. We actually got, first of all, Pennant Roberts, a well-respected director in Doctor Who, the only person to direct episodes of Doctor Who in both the 70s and the 80s. I I
1: just don't, I mean, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just curious if that is like a common name
0: somewhere. I I actually, I don't know that that is his name.
1: Okay, Um, I'm not...
0: No, 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 no. No hate, no, no judgment. No, 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 no. The reason is because literally I got a, a in a Twitter conversation with a listener of ours, a, uh-huh. a wonderful... A woman in Sweden named Finula. Dude, cool. Yeah, no, um, which is apparently she has an Irish mother. That's her Twitter handle. But she lives in Sweden, but she has an Irish mother. Her, her Twitter handle is at Trollnistan. That's T-R-O-L-L-N-Y-S-T-A-N. Um, she seems lovely. And in our episode on the war machines, yeah, uh, I made fun of Dodo by um. saying that her real name is Dorothea and apparently she gets called Dodo and I kind of sounded rather incredulous when I said that uh Finula's niece is named Dorothea, and they call her Dodo so Oh she... so like that's a thing That's a thing yeah oh. so Well
1: thank you for um
0: Yeah and I hope I'm pronouncing us. Finula's name how is
1: how is it spelled now i want her to tweet us and tell us how to pronounce her name because if you said she has an irish
0: yeah i googled the name and i think i got the pronunciation right anyway anyway if we've pronounced it incorrectly please correct us And we're very happy you're listening, and we're very sorry both to you and to uh, your niece, Dodo.
1: Yeah, no no offense, because Dodo's
0: awesome. But That is something I think we do a lot of, is make fun of the names um, of some of the characters, and maybe we should do a little less of that.
1: Yes, that's true. I, okay, so let's give some context, though, because I absolutely don't think we should make fun of people's names. However... Um, within talking about like writing discussions, we have to acknowledge that sometimes authors choose weird names or choose names that may be very literal, um, or maybe kinda racist. Um, so I will try and limit my, my name discussion to like
0: to characters those, to... and to those kinds of issues. Yeah. I think discussing the name is perfectly valid and I don't think yeah. that you did anything wrong. Or, you know, I I just think that it's it's something I'm going to try to be more sensitive about in the future.
1: No, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree we should do that. Um, but because I I always want to say, like, devil's advocate. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay, I have a shout out too. um, so my friend Elsa, Mm -hmm. who I have not seen in mm, 15 years, uh, sent me a Facebook message, um, To say, hey, Heather Sperry, who is apparently a fan of ours, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, maybe got a little giddy over the fact that Elsa and I were Facebook friends, so Heather Sperry, feel free to friend me. I mean, no bigs.
0: Or or us. Or us. Um, We're good. We we always like to uh, interact with fans whenever possible. Yeah.
1: I just, you know, wow, it's a small world. Yeah. You know. And everyone loves Doctor Who. Yeah. That's the most important thing.
0: It is. Especially on our Doctor Who podcast.
1: Doctor Who. So. Now I want like a jazz song of Doctor Who. like But not jazz. Like lounge jazz.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know why. <laughs> There's a, a YouTube video of, uh, you remember Black Books? Um, you remember the long haired yeah. guy on Black Books? Yeah. I forget his real name. But uh, he did a uh, kind of jazz piano recital thing of <sighs> Doctor Who. Only it was in like French. So it's Doctor Qui and uh it's hilarious (laughs) so i'm gonna link to that in the show notes yeah yeah no no, he's funny Watch that yeah and um, I'm sorry I forgot his name. But,
1: yeah, you know. also a fan of black books. Yeah. Yay, BBC, or British Television Engine. Yeah,
0: anyway. Anyway, so, back to welcome, the point of the episode. Welcome, episode 47. Mm-hmm. Talking about the face of evil today. Yeah. Sorry, I, just when you started making fun of the name, I thought I should uh, just jump right in there and uh, apologize <laughs> to Fenula and, and Dodo. But, Fair um, enough. You know, we're in the middle of season 14 of the classic series. Yeah. Uh, we are introducing Leela today.
1: Yup, and I gotta say, when we first started this project, many moons ago, um, I was not super excited about Leela because I had only heard, like, kind of the negative side of the character. Right. Like, ooh, she's wearing, like, nothing, and she's kind of, like, a cavewoman. Um, but uh, last year at Chicago TARDIS. I think she actually ended up winning the costume contest.
0: Yeah, there was a... uh... There was a
1: woman who did a really great Leela costume, and her daughters were Romana and Zoe. And so, like... Imagine, if you will, a very lovely woman in a Leela costume that was had really wonderful detail to it. So, like, I'm like, awesome, you be you. And then two adorable children, also in cosplay, and they walk off this Both elevator. Both, like,
0: four years old or something. Well, one you know? was,
1: like, four and one was, like, eight, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the four-year-old, or however old she was, was the Zoe, clearly. Um, but and, they come out of the probably elevator. about the
0: same height as Wendy Padbury. <laughs>
1: Uh, But they come off the elevator and I'm like, okay, I suddenly have a different respect for Leela because clearly that is a badass femme fam. Like, set of women in yeah. that little group and if they can... If if she is, like, standing by Leela... So, in other words, I was inspired by the other fans to look forward to Leela.
0: I, you know, I went through... The first time I went through the series, mm-hmm. I went through... I didn't know anything. I, I literally did not read ahead just mm-hmm. to kind of... I kind of knew where the episodes were so I could get... Yeah. So I could know which titles were coming up and I kind of knew where I was in the series. But didn't, like... I just wanted to take the series as it was and uh-huh. I watched it all in order. And... You know, when you leave Sarah Jane, and when you know that oh, your next companion is going to be this woman in a bikini, essentially a leather bikini, a leather bikini, and
1: although I uh, want to talk about that later,
0: we are we are we are gonna. But initial impressions, you know, mm-hmm. when you first like think you're leaving the arguably the most feminist character in the history of the show,
1: and leaving her. In that outfit that she's in, the red and white striped, like the
0: dandy pandy overalls, or whatever it's called. and
1: yeah, yeah. like. So she's a super feminist character and she's leaving and looking just kind of adorable
0: and <laughs> and looking I mean honestly I look at that outfit and I just think like you you look like a five-year-old like that's my immediate yeah top. there's
1: there's um, a um
0: but it, but it yeah. was the 70s and we're going to just like let that go.
1: But it is a youthful look a you know a it makes you kind of feel sorry for her when she's sitting there with her suitcase on the side of the road you know yeah, like no. she looks very kind of. Sad. I like. I hate. I don't know what else to say except she looks a little sad. She looks a little sad. Um, but yeah. So then you see what the next companion's gonna be, and it's like, wow. Okay, that is not um emoting sadness. That's certainly
0: not sadness that that are... Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not feeling sad looking at Leela's costume. No. Let's put it that way. No. But within the confines of the fact that you've got this, you know, lovely young woman who is basically stripped naked in front of the camera, Mm -hmm. there is a really interesting character there. And I think that um, she is routinely called one of the great companions of the series. And I think rightfully so.
1: And I think that you see very quickly the chemistry between this doctor and a character like Leela. Right. Um, even before you get to see the actual chemistry between the doctor and Leela. You can see, um okay, first quote of of the episode. Go ahead, read your quote. Um one of the first things he says to her is he offers her a jelly baby uh-huh. and she says, It's true then, they say the evil one eats babies which honestly Fair conclusion from her point of view. Sure, sure. Um, And the doctor, instead of, like, really making fun of her, just says, you mustn't believe all they say. There's this very, um... I feel like he respects her from the beginning Mm -hmm. of, you know, yes, you just made a small assumption.
0: There is this sense, of, I mean, A... Uh, Tom Baker, which we talked about a little bit in our last episode about the deadly assassin. Tom Baker didn't want a companion. I know. They kind of forced a companion on him.
1: I know, so this is the companion they forced on Mm -hmm. him,
0: and, uh... He, he, he and Louise Jameson did not get along, uh, at least at first. No. Um, now they get along. Now they are great friends. Like now, you know, yeah. 40, 40 odd years later uh, or 30 odd years later. But um,
1: But I think that that dynamic with the characters is kind of perfect.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's arguably good for the show. Right. Um, they're definitely deriving this, I mean, kind of the thing you hear is this is going to be your Eliza Doolittle kind of, you know, My Fair Lady kind of character. And the idea was that he's going to civilize her over the course of, you know, her time in TARDIS, which I think we'll talk a little bit more about it because we're going to do two more Leela stories and I want to kind of get right. at that a little bit later. But,
1: but I already feel like I'm going to disagree with that because it doesn't feel like he is civilizing Leela. Right. It feels like he's teaching her a new language. And
0: I, I don't I don't disagree with you at all.
1: And um. um
0: so anyways. Um, no, no. I mean, I think I think this is great. I think we're definitely we're basically just going to talk about Lila here. I think there's other stuff in this episode going on and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But um I think before in the sense of trying to talk about Leela, it's important to note that this story is the, you know, the civilization here. I mean, this is one of the most realized, well-realized kind of backstories. In you know, yeah. all of classic Who, I think.
1: This is like... Apart from the introduction of Leela, this is a great story. This right. deals with, like, all the science fiction, like, questioning religion, um, questioning belief systems, uh, identity politics, even, really, when you talk about um, the Doctor and his relation to Zoanon.
0: Yes. Um, yeah. And
1: we'll get to that in a minute, yeah. but...
0: Um, Yet another evil computer that the uh, the doctor has to uh, battle. Yeah. If Zoe was around, this episode would have been two, this story would have been two episodes long. Yeah. Because Zoe would have beat him in, like, just yeah. the same way she beat the computer in The Invasion. You know?
1: But, um...
0: She's got to speak alcohol at it, and, you know, it'll go away.
1: I'm sorry, I can't stop thinking of that scene where she just sits down and laughs as the computer breaks down. <laughs> yes.
0: Sorry, this is this is our, like, what, third Zoe reference? <laughs> <laughs> It's hard not to when there's an evil computer around not to think of what well, Zoe would have solved this. All well,
1: right, and to know. think of another badass chick because yeah. like Leela is badass in a completely different way.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um,
1: so I I I'm just what? gonna read a couple other quotes that like come around Leela. Um, one is from the Doctor where he says, "Never be certain of anything. It's a sign of weakness." Uh-huh. So he's basically saying, "Question everything. Uh, question your reality, dude." Um.
0: It was the 70s. Yeah.
1: And I like that because then later, and I mean, that's in like the first episode, and I think maybe in the third episode, when Leela's leaving and she says goodbye, she says, Goodbye, Tomas. Beware of the devious Caleb. One day he'll get so cunning, even he won't know what he's planning. And I kind of felt like we get this direct... I mean, we get character growth out of Leela in her first story, Mm -hmm. I guess is what I'm saying, which is just like... Again, cool wow there's so much going on in well, this one story at the
0: very beginning of this story she's being banished from the tribe right essentially for questioning the religious dogma which was you know the evil one and the uh the head priest or uh, they have another name for him but mm-hmm. uh, Neva, mm-hmm. the, the guy who kind of runs the religion and kind of saying you know no this isn't real the the gods are not real etc cetera, etc cetera. and then she gets to meet the god and then mm-hmm. when the god says no 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 I'm not a god like it's sort of like one of those like there is she mm-hmm. definitely wavers in this a little bit especially towards the beginning yeah. but you get introduced into this society and you don't really know what's going on at first there no. are all these kind of relics of a of technology around them but they mm-hmm. are clearly in this kind of like non- the priest
1: man wears like a glove on his head because yeah, he it's the a hand of on zoanne his hand. And... it's the hand
0: of zoanne and all that sort yeah, of thing. yeah. um you get all these kinds of
1: uh... and i will say though the doctor does make fun of them right he is like, yeah, you're wearing a glove on your head. Okay, that's cool. Uh, but, I mean, that's him making fun of religion.
0: Well, it's him making fun of... I don't know, I, w- I wanted to talk to you about that. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, is he poking fun at religion or is he poking fun at the ritual of the you know, religion? Is he poking fun at the, you know, the fact that the uh, hand motion that they use is like how you see, check the safety seals on the spacesuit sort of thing? Um, I, what it reminds me of and what I, I kind of thought of immediately when I saw this was the the cargo cult phenomenon of the Are you familiar with these? No. Um, in the particularly after World War II, because you know you had these military bases being set up on these little tiny, mm-hmm. you know, um, islands. You had these Pacific Islanders who came to recognize. There are some cultural misappropriation things here. We can't, the stereotype is they can't recognize the, the white men who came and had all these planes and these powers and these mm-hmm. big guns and everything as gods. Mm-hmm. Really, it's probably not quite that simple, but they came to mm-hmm. kind of recognize that. And then after the Allies left, after the planes were no longer coming, the religious... Cults essentially were built around these. Like, you'd have these Pacific Islanders building fake runways and building like fake planes so that they could curry favor with the gods and that sort of thing to try to um, uh, get the, the bounteous wealth that these other men had, you know? You
1: know, that sounds really fascinating. <coughs> I just thought about Red Dwarf and the Cat.
0: Well, what, Red Dwarf <laughs> and the Cat is, is the same sort of yeah, concept. Yeah, where of... he
1: tells the cat that they're going to go to Fiji, and then how many how much time goes by? Like three million years? Three million years? years, yeah. Everyone is dead, Dave. Dave, everyone is dead. If you haven't watched Red Dwarf, do it. Yeah, Red Anyways.
0: Dwarf is great. We started rewatching it not that long ago. So.
1: Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, this kind of... Let me see. There's a question, a quote from the end that I want to read now, too, because it's into what we're saying, but... One of the last things the doctor says is, you know, the very powerful and the very stupid have one thing in common. They don't alter their views to fit the facts. They alter the facts to fit the views, which can be uncomfortable if you happen to be one of the facts that needs altering. Absolutely. And for me, it says, because I think we kind of question throughout the episode whether how the doctor really feels about this religious sect that clearly he knows this is not a god, that is a spacesuit, that is a glove on your head right And he makes fun of that of just saying like, dude, I know the reality of the situation but I don't feel like he really judges the religion or the belief system as much as he judges the fact that they're using it to banish people right. and to feel superior about themselves. And so, therefore, the most superior look the most stupid, whereas the people who are questioning and working against, you know, trying to really understand things, that's where the respect is. So, right. Well,
0: I think it's important to note that... Um... At no point is the, the tribe of the Seventeen made to seem stupid. They're no. ignorant, but not stupid. Yeah. Um, you have this, and, and this reminded me a lot of an Unearthly Child thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Parts of
0: the Unearthly Child that no one wants to watch because it's stupid, but which mm-hmm. I love and I think you love.
1: Love.
0: The, the caveman portions of, the, of, the unearth, of an Unearthly Child.
1: Saw so has many skins.
0: Yes. Much man-thigh. Also man-thigh in this story. But somehow less man-thigh in this story Oh
1: classic who in the man die
0: than there was in an earthly child. But anyway. Um it reminds me a lot because there is this kind of political machination game going on. You've got the leader mm-hmm. of the tribe, Andor, and he and then Caleb who is trying to of take over the tribe for him and trying to diminish andor's authority and you really get this kind of complex political game that they're playing which yeah. drives a lot of the plot in the first two the first two episodes mm-hmm. um and then you real and then once they kind of go through the face of evil and then they're mm-hmm. on the spaceship and suddenly no, things are way way bigger than like yeah, you know, this this little um political battle, which is mm-hmm. an interesting thing.
1: But I like that essentially what this episode does is say, let's take these very different kind of tribal, I don't want to say cult, but tribal
0: yeah. um yeah, cult is a loaded word. I apologize that. Yeah. To use
1: it, um kind of these two different tribal cultures
0: mm-hmm. but say,
1: look, there's There are political issues going on, Mm -hmm. and politics are influenced by religion, and, like, we have some very fundamental, like, big questions being kind of talked about in this episode. Sure. And I think introducing a character like Uh Leela with this kind of conversation, you know, like, is she super sexualized? Her costume kinda is... I mean it, it shows she, way more skin than anybody there, else, but there's definitely that
0: like national geographic aspect to it. Yeah. Whereby for all you know Again, apologies for a long time, you know, Mm -hmm. like, uh, certainly when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, you know, you kind of thought of National Geographic as like, oh, you can, you know, if you're a budding young man, you know, I can go see boobies in the National Geographic because they're African boobies and it's Mm -hmm. okay to show that. Mm -hmm. But you can't see boobies in Playboy, for instance, you know, that's up on the top shelf. But this is educational and it's their culture and it's okay Right. Whereas really, well, it's it's completely different context, obviously. Right,
1: and um, I mean.
0: But the idea that like we've made her a noble savage, and she just doesn't know any better to cover up, so it's okay for us to show her well, this.
1: Well, and I don't you know. even I don't even get that feeling, and I guess per- this because we watched some of the
0: behind the scenes stuff. There's an excellent documentary about this a- apparently, story.
1: Apparently, the- um the behind-the-scenes shit, super sexist. Oh, yeah. Um, and awful, and poor Louise Jameson had to go through a lot and apparently had to beg for the little cover-up that she got on top of her leather
0: bathing suit. Yeah, the the, but, the little flap. She wanted a flap in the back because she didn't like her bum. Yeah. So, you know.
1: Watching it from the point of view of 2015, where, like, this amount of skin is still relatively modest. <laughs> right. And she is such a a. I mean... The episode doesn't sexualize her much. You much more are focusing on her capability. Uh She is athletic. And she, um, you know, is...
0: Capable is uh, the least of the words you could use to describe the. She is uh, no holds barred, take no prisoners. She yeah is badass, just completely yeah. straightforward. That is that is what she, she is. as a She
1: hand has chit tons of agency.
0: Oh yeah, okay. agency out the wazoo. Yeah, and that is where agency comes I think, from. Yeah. Out the wazoo. Yeah. Sorry, that's an old female joke. I apologize.
1: Anyway. Uh... <laughs> It's really hard for me as a contemporary viewer to look at Classic Who and be like, oh, that character is so sexist when, you know, I've have watched other Classic Who. Right. And, you know, I'm watching this understanding that, like, for a lot of people, they grew up with her as the badass character that mm-hmm. they got to like. And I respect her for that, um, especially because, you know, by the end of the episode... Or by the end of the story, she really understands the politics and everything right. that's going on. Like, she lets the doctor say, hey, question things. And she does. And she helps well, and him she solve things. And she is at
0: the beginning. I think yeah. that's like the reason she's being kicked out of the tribe is because she's yeah. questioning the political authority right, already. already. Mm-hmm. And so the doctor doesn't teach her that. She already yeah, is that. She's... What the doctor yeah. does is gives her technology, breadth, experience.
1: Yeah. And kind of permission. Uh, as as a friend I guess outside of her society mm-hmm. um, to be able to say like yeah I know you're getting kicked out of your society for asking questions but I'm saying question everything well and now I
0: mean just mm-hmm. thinking about it out loud I'm gonna just riff on that a second mm-hmm. you know um, thinking about this coming right after the deadly assassin which is the story where we kind of get the sense of the doctor and his civilization and his society yeah. And he's been, he's a criminal in his society, and he's kind of been kicked out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And Leela being, mm-hmm. you know, an expatriate from her civilization. So there is a sort of meeting of the minds here, and they are more similar than they are different in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, where the Doctor brings these, you know, intelligence and its wit, guile, mm-hmm. uh, Leela brings... Just straightforward violence <laughs> uh, yeah. to, to solve her problems Well uh, and so and, many occasions
1: Yeah, and I mean he he um, we do get a sense with the doctor. Again, of he tells her not to kill
0: people. Well, this is something I did want to mm-hmm. discuss to some detail. The uh, the Janus thorns, mm-hmm. um, which are, if you haven't seen the story in a while, mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's this thorn that Leela carries around with her, and that mm-hmm. other people in the episode and story are seen using. The Janus thorns, you stick them on somebody, they penetrate, they poison. First, they paralyze you, and then they kill you, and there's no cure. Mm-hmm. And she uses these things like they're candy, like mm-hmm. it's literally like she, like they're like it. Shows like life is cheap among civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not expected to live very long mm-hmm. and if you get in my way I'm just gonna fucking kill you. That's that's mm-hmm. that's Leela's way. That's her society And that's the culture's way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Doctor is, you know, <laughs> very much against this mm-hmm. uh, strategy of going about life uh, in general. Uh, not that the Doctor has any problems uh, killing people when that's, uh, or, you know, just When it's completely planets, necessary. When it's necessary. And in his opinion. I think that that's certainly a conversation that, that, that we... Tend to have about doctor who in terms of the, the morality of the doctor's actions i think that's mm-hmm. completely fair um but certainly in this case he's saying you know what maybe don't like kill people as a first resort you know like yeah. let's let's make it the second resort
1: yeah or at least kill know. them in a way that you know they kill the
0: one that isn't like torturously painful and slow yeah. like um well so and... that, but then later when Leela herself is hit struck by the when, mm-hmm. uh, when a thorn is used on her and the Doctor reveals, like, well, actually, there's a machine right over there. I can make the antidote. And, like, if you just give me time to do it. And that's part of what establishes him as this kind of mythic creature within mm-hmm. this. Like, it convinces the members mm-hmm. of the seven team that, oh, my God, you can cure this thing that we thought was incurable, and mm-hmm. you did it like it was nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, really important moment. I think for Leela's characterization, mm-hmm. you know, that this godlike being actually values um, life and her life and the lives of even the people that oppose them, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. No, and uh, the idea that he would get so angry at her for using it mm-hmm. because she doesn't think there's a cure. Right. Versus where he's like, oh no, we can fix that. Um, but I think... Um, do you want to move on to talking about Zoanon?
0: I think we should. I I want to talk about Zoanon, and I want to talk about the Tesh, and in particular the relationship between Zoanon and the Tesh and the Seventeen. So let's talk about the Tesh first, then, because I think that makes more sense, and then we'll end on Zoanon. Sure. Um, so... Basically, what's happened in this society is that the SEVA team were the survey team. They were the people going out and actually gathering supplies and doing research on the planet, etc., etc. And then the techs were the people kind of staying up on the ship. And Mm -hmm. the computer in its split personality caused by the After Effects of the Doctor has forced them to stay separate through technology Mm -hmm. and then has essentially manipulated the environment so that one group of them is forced into this, like, savage kind of, Mm -hmm. savage has all kinds of unfortunate connotations, but this Mm -hmm. very violent, you know, short-lived, nasty British and short kind of existence, Mm -hmm. um, which does not actually describe the way that most um, hunter-gatherer societies actually lived. Right. But we're doing fiction here, so we'll just leave it at that. Mm -hmm. But then the Tesh are elevated in in the mind, Mm -hmm. and, you know, um, and I think that there is this kind of, the Tash are definitely the advantaged side of this because mm-hmm. they get to live on a nice air conditioned spaceship and they get to like live a life of the mind and they mm-hmm. don't die young and they certainly have more knowledge of who Zoannan is than mm-hmm. the seven team, even if they're not, um, completely in on the in on the loop. Um but Zoannan has definitely manipulated this mm-hmm. society and Zoannan was created when the doctor fucked up, effectively. And that was kind of the, the central idea. That was what Chris Boucher wanted to do.
1: Well, and the idea is that the doctor came and he programmed the computer to think like him.
0: He, But was, he left
1: his personality or something to it's,
0: that. It's sort of the idea was he had to use his own... I forget the details of, like, the, mm-hmm. the pseudo... The, the, the psychobabble, the whatever, you know.
1: Well, what, what matters to me is we get this sense that not only are we seeing that the the split in society has evolved from the survey team becoming you know the brutes mm-hmm. versus the tech people becoming godlike mm-hmm. you know that's a commentary on societal well, differences
0: there's a morlocks and Eloy kind of exactly going on here, the exactly Wells thing.
1: Um, um and then you have the fact that then later we find out well this is partially affected by the doctors personal views right and so you kind of have to say oh so the doctor kind of would see the techs as the higher and mm-hmm. the survey people as the lower and you get that doctor companion relationship to the extreme and evolved and mm-hmm. kind of fucked up um and i think that's where it starts getting really interesting because the depth to this story that goes like off the charts because they're talking about a lot by having very simple and clear stories that are based on a lot of archetypal science fiction and
0: yeah i mean the uh i mean this this was released in late 76 early 77 Mm -hmm. somewhere in there um and uh Certainly, at that time and a little bit earlier, the you know post-apocalypse short stories and novels—the idea that like a nuclear war is going to come and we're all going to devolve into uh, some tribal society and we're going to have these relics of the old time—and mm-hmm. um, that was a really common thing in science fiction at yeah. the time. Um, and I think that what you know and having the doctor's presence yeah like the backstory here is that the doctor showed up mm-hmm. there was a problem he fixed the problem but he was a little bit lazy or a little bit like you know made a mistake in the way he resolved it and then he went bye see you later the way he always does and then that mistake ends up costing this civilization so much over the course of the next century And so we're yeah. seeing this is what happens when you're not really taking things seriously and you just kind of mm-hmm. wander in and wander out of his lives which I think for a show that is yeah. built around this kind of heroic figure who saves the day mm-hmm. every, you know, every story, to say, well, maybe the after effects were not as, as great mm-hmm. as, you know, we think they are. You know, we mm-hmm. really don't know what happened at the end of these other stories, like what happened decades later.
1: Right. And I think, um, <clears throat> you know, sometimes we we get a little tired of the of like, this is Doctor Who trying this genre on for a size. Um, at least with contemporary stuff. Mm-hmm. Um Moffat. Um but I think taking on a very familiar trope within science fiction and mm-hmm. something that was big at the time, like that makes a lot more sense and feels culturally
0: relevant and Well, I'm fine. I mean, I yeah. would love to see Doctor Who take actually take Modern Who and you mm-hmm. know, we get very critical of Moffat here and I know. you know, for very good reasons I think we get very critical of Moffat. Uh-huh. Um but I think I would I would love to see For instance, in Series 8, the big question to a large degree was place of the warrior versus you mm-hmm. know the doctor as a as a more quote-unquote pacifistic figure mm-hmm. what is the balance that we strike between those mm-hmm. roles that is a really big and interesting question the mm-hmm. fact is series eight didn't deal with that at all it pretended to and then it just like made up some shit at the end yeah or the central thing of kill the moon which was kind of a terrible mishmash of an episode it's asking about like what is the place and like where how how much do we value life if that life is threatening to us you know and the questions about abortion and political. very I know. And that's not, a, that's not a, handled
1: very well. That's
0: a really interesting question to
1: ask. I just don't want Stephen Moffat answering it. But Kill the Moon does a terrible
0: job of even beginning well, to grapple with it. And
1: so I want to talk about. The, the scene that I, I guess is, like, the real, hist- like, everyone remembers this scene where the confrontation between the Doctor and Zoannan and the multiple voices. um I'm going to tr- just read bits of it and talk through it because it's, there's no way to recreate multiple voices. Um, I
0: could actually play the audio if you want. So,
1: like, maybe you'll put in the audio here, um... <laughs> I get my quotes off of the IMDB page sometimes, and it's really funny. I just want to note this, because when there is more than one zoan voice, whoever input this quote just put, and says this, and then it says, zoan and says this, and then it says, Zoan zoanin Zoanon, <laughs> to show that there are three Zoanon voices. Anyways, whoever thought that, good, good idea. So anyway, so we have finally reached the point where we understand that the doctor basically... Is in to some degree and vice versa. Like, so, um. That
0: part of Zoannon's personality comes from the doctor.
1: Yes. And when the doctor goes in to deal with him, one of the first things Zoann says is, I grow tired. I will thank you no longer. And there is this very, um, harsh kind of point of view of Tom Baker's personality in there. Mm-hmm. I think of the, and, well, and his doctor of, you know, Saying, at your worst, you are so lazy, you don't even want to think about yourself. And he sa- his argument is, I'm the doctor, I'm separate, I'm real, you must acknowledge me. And it eventually devolves into are arguing back and forth, and male voices, different voices, and female voices. And then we finally get uh, Zoannan just screaming no, and... <laughs> In the description of IMDb, the doctor slowly collapses to the floor from the onslaught of Zoannan's will covering his ears. And with a child's voice emerging and growing louder, you just hear, who am I? Who am I? Which, by the way, really surreal, creepy moment. Mm-hmm. Um, felt very kind of classic horror movie-ish, almost. Yeah, sure. Um, but also, like... Kind of like existential
0: crisis. Ah! Well, and the idea of the the inner um, the inner conflict becoming external uh-huh. that the computer, I mean, the the, the crazy computer, quote unquote, right. is kind of one of those like ideas that gets done over and over again in television science fiction because it's mm-hmm. you know you could argue this is what we kind of been talking about when we talk mm-hmm. about you know the fear of technology, the fear of computers, mm-hmm. the fear of you know all these things, which. Goes back at least as far as uh, the Tenth Planet, if not. I mean, ultimately, even the Daleks are kind of that to, to some right. degree. Um, but certainly, the no no later than the Cyberman um, was this something that's part of the show. Uh, and so this this fear that this technology, which we don't really understand. If you're a common person, you don't mm-hmm. understand how computers work. It's magic box or this broom at this time, but this <laughs> machine that's like taking jobs and it's changing your lives and it's able to do all these things that seem magical and how does that change your society and this this fear of like what the what the technology is going to give us is kind of where some of this comes from and the idea that this computer has gotten so advanced that it even has a childlike thing that it, mm-hmm. that it has this persona that is not I think that that mixture of this kind of organic, you know, material, this organic kind of because we want to rush to protect children and to but mm-hmm. that this child is very threatening at the same time.
1: And I you think that's get a lot
0: of where that fish And comes you get from.
1: Tom Baker's face with this child's voice <laughs> right. screaming, Who am I? And
0: and that pixelated uh, like orange. <laughs> yeah, which is really Which you can get cool. on a t-shirt, actually.
1: I want it now. Now that I understand where it's from. I just thought it was like a pixelated Tom Baker face before, but now I understand it. So, Annan. Anyways, um, Freudian psychology, inner child, all that kind of stuff, too. Mm-hmm. I think, for me, what I ultimately found kind of interesting is there are so many layers to discuss here. Mm-hmm. There are lots of different kind of... Um, philosophical and archetypal conversations going on and about religion and politics and society. But then there's also a very strong visual story mm-hmm. of the earthiness of the tribal people, or of the land, tribal people, the...
0: Seventeen.
1: Seventeen. To the point where, again, watch the behind the scenes. Like, they almost kind of made her blackface-y.
0: Well, and that's something I think we should at least mention, is that yeah. the like the original makeup designs were... I mean, out-and-out out blackface for Leela. Yeah. Um, And to make her, like, that's what, like, she's a savage, quote-unquote, you know, yeah. and we're going to put this, this white actress in blackface, and we're going to have her... I mean, looking at that makeup almost makes me think, like, it's like an ooga kind of, you know, like... Well, you know, and... Overtly racist African stereotype kind of You
1: know, of thing. so the, uh, it's like they show... In the behind-the-scenes on the DVD, they show a picture that's like a publicity still. And just her face mm-hmm. is black-faced. And, I mean, it looks literally like they took just black powder. Shoe polish it...
0: removers or like shoe polish and Oh, just well, like, it, you know... it wasn't
1: shiny, though. It just looks like black powder all oh, right, over her sure, face. Yeah. And so there was part of me that was like, well, that's definitely black-faced. But maybe they were trying to just go for dirty Sure. But it's probably just blackface. I mean,
0: I think it's also worth noting that they took her, you know, Louise Jameson in real life has very bright, striking blue eyes. Mm-hmm. And they gave her brown contacts to play Leela. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you imagine, okay, we're going to A, give you brown contacts, and B, have you play this in this little blacked up face. Yeah. Even if it's not, quote unquote, blackface in the sense of you know where they've actually like given her racial characteristics that are yeah, you know, still hers. you know we're not talking about a mavic chen kind of you Ugh. know um or you know for that matter the talents of wing chang which you haven't seen but which no. is i've seen
1: pictures though we, so. we,
0: we will eventually we're not doing that one immediately it's but we'll eventually gonna have to do that one because Great. it's both brilliant and racist Oh, great. Anyway. Getting back to what you were saying.
1: But, like, okay, aside from the blackface, what they do end up with, she does just kind of look dirty and, mm -hmm. like, she's been tanned because she's outside a lot.
0: Um, it, it, it looks like a, I don't want to say realistic, but a TV realistic kind of exactly. viewpoint, you know, like, yes, this is a TV show. Yes. She is unbelievably gorgeous and her legs are shaved and, and wonderful. Be boring, yeah. And, um, I apologize. Jesus, stop. <laughs>
1: uh, Daniel cannot look at Louise Jameson without saying legs.
0: Her, I, I, I'm mesmerized by Leela's legs in, uh, legs. all of her stories. I'm yeah. sorry. She has
1: talk about cavemen legs anyways um but visually what i was trying to say is you go from the very earthy toned red you know clay um looking society to the very white um that you know visually <laughs> I don't know why we always do this. We when we imagine a future, we imagine a future where everything is like completely sleek and smooth and white and mm-hmm. now I kind of think of it as the the apple effect, but
0: Yeah, it definitely predates that. I mean, But it it
1: predates that.
0: I think that, I mean, if I can aside for for Mm -hmm. a second, I think that that comes from, you know, like if you imagine like the early days of of science fiction, Mm -hmm. or at least popular science fiction, Mm -hmm. kind of the pulp stories in the 30s and 40s, Mm -hmm. and what you were seeing was things going from this handmade quality to like plastics being invented, and then you were seeing more and more kind of smooth lines and more and more. And, you know, so the future looks unbelievably plastic and unbelievably smooth and unbelievably you know mm-hmm. because that's what the that's where it's going from there. I mm-hmm. think today we have a much more kind of realistic look about what, you know, technology is really going to what what our societies are really gonna look like. Yeah, the one. difference
1: in technology between like this and say a movie like her.
0: Right, um, but her definitely. Has but the it, same has thing, you know? it has Chinese, its own smooth and shinies.
1: But I think it's it has enough dirt.
0: What happens is we kind of imagine our futures today as having it's it's either you know post apocalyptic. It's either two thousand one a space odyssey or it's man max. Yeah, you know it's either everything is dirty and grimy and destroyed yeah. because you know, but the real future is going to be a combination of both. Yeah, you know, where. Today in the year 2015, as opposed to the 2015 vision in *Back to the Future*, we don't have flying cars. We have regular cars, Mm -hmm. but we do have electric cars, and we have electric cars, and not everybody drives them. But we also have like global climate change, and we have you know racial disparities, and we have you know. You can't uh, predict everything in fiction, folks. That's what we're saying. uh, You know, all kinds of socio-political stuff that we could talk about. But back to
1: the episode.
0: Yeah. Away Um, Away from the imagined future.
1: But. Again, this is what you and I want when we watch Doctor Who, is an episode that has its faults, but despite those faults, the heart of the story, the world building, the storytelling, the knowledge mm-hmm. behind it, um, like, you know, no offense, Pennant, wait, he directed, he didn't write. Who yeah, wrote Chris it? Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher, whoever you are.
0: Um, he wrote uh, three episodes of Doctor Who, all of them. Oh, okay, cool. Um, At least two of which are brilliantly, huh?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the commentary of the writer through this story um, and what Leela gets to be, despite the fact that, yes, she is kind of sexy and, like, all the stuff that you just kind of expect from the time, like, again, to use a contemporary reference, Mad Max Fury Road is awesome and feminist and Furiosa is cool and... uh. Um, you know, has a robotic arm and all these kinds of things, but it it's also Charlize Theron.
0: It's also one of the most beautiful women in the world. In
1: the world, um, so a a,
0: a white woman from South Africa. Yeah. We'll we'll just let that sit there for, for yeah. a minute. Yeah. You know. Although she has
1: done tons of humanitarian work in in. Uh, yeah, no, I'm Africa. I'm not I'm not I'm not
0: criticizing Charlize Theron. This that, is not, but, yes. but you know. You know the one. The one big criticism about Mad Max Fury Road, which I'm sorry to talk about that, but you know, definitely, it's a really white movie. Like, yes, yeah, it's it's very very white.
1: Yes, part of that is driven by the storyline. Part of that is you know we're gonna
0: let that go for now. Yeah,
1: um, in our other podcast that one we of do someday. One of these
0: days, uh, and we might expand this podcast eventually to be just about science fiction in general because I think we're moving in that direction more and more. But
1: fair enough. But um. Yeah, I think what for me stands out as unique about this particular story is because we I mean, we've seen in many of the episodes you and I like this kind of critical talk about um society and politics and religion and mm-hmm. you know how th- those all become intertwined and like I prefer those episodes.
0: Well, I prefer a, a story that's actually a story about you know both characters, but mm-hmm. also about an idea, and I, I mean I
1: and I think that that's what makes them feel more like they stand the test of time, you know. Yeah. Um, um,
0: this one, this this era of the show, really kind of starting with mm-hmm. you know season fourteen, season fifteen, running through the next few years. I mean, this is arguably kind of the. Technical height of the show when the production is really just mm-hmm. working at its high point. Yeah. Um, Matt Irvine. Matt Irvine. Matt Irvine started work on the story. So we got to see him talk at TARDIS last
1: year, and he's adorable. Yeah. And he getting to visual, see him. He was
0: a visual effects designer. Yeah.
1: Before. Actually, finally getting to an era where we get to see his work, and he's on the behind the scenes videos and stuff again yep. is, is was kind of a geeky moment for no, me. No,
0: it was it was it was nice because
1: he's he was genuinely a funny guy.
0: And this story in particular. particular particular, you know, it there was a break between when Sarah Jane leaves. Mm-hmm. So Liz Slayton leaves and they do The Deadly Assassin. And then there were a few weeks where they did these omnibus versions of the last couple of stories where they did instead of like airing week by week, mm-hmm. they like aired a few stories as like movies, like two hour movies where they'd cut the, the
1: Classic Who's version of a, of a clip show? Well or I mean a marathon not even,
0: like a marathon. Like like where, mm-hmm. you know, they basically made these, these movie versions of these, mm-hmm. you know. So kind of watching it the way we would watch it modern, you know, except mm-hmm just mm-hmm. without the you know the cliffhangers but yeah. <clears throat> a lot of people thought that the face of evil was the beginning of the new season at the time it aired and it was kind of one of those myths that got you know promulgated as uh. time went on but it, it isn't the beginning of the season it's the middle of the season um because um. there was just this break but the reason I was bringing that up is because I think one of the reasons this story is so good is they just had more time to do the script to get the script really. I mean that really makes good. sense. And to get the that forest is gorgeous and yes. clearly they had a little bit of extra time to get that forest.
1: Well, set. and
0: I mean it looks like a set, but it's gorgeous. Mount what Tom knows? Baker. Mount Tom Baker. Um. Baker Rushmore.
1: Baker Rushmore.
0: You want a Mount Tom Baker? I know.
1: Wow, that was a bad joke.
0: It was a terrible end.
1: I love you anyway. Um, <laughs> You're married. Uh, well, and there, I even liked, the, I thought there was a, a fairly interesting, when he's commenting on his, looking at his face, mm-hmm. and understanding that this is the face of evil, mm-hmm. and he basically say, said, like, well, they make, made my nose a little pointier than it should have been, and, you know, talking about how his fe- features were perhaps slightly exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Um. Even that I thought was kind of an interesting commentary on
0: Well, they like, made his nose a little pointer, i. e. more Jewish.
1: Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. Right, yeah. Um which
0: yeah. I think, there, I think there's a little more, more depth there that we have time to, to get exactly. into. Exactly. In that that was
1: my, my head-going ellipses.
0: Yeah. Um, no. But,
1: you know, this episode gets one of my highest compliments I give on things is it makes me want to write essays. Like, there,
0: you should. You should start blogging. Someday. You should start blogging along with this podcast, oh. I think. Oh, yeah. You get some readers and you get, get some more listeners in here. If oh, you to actually... all right. So. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Um, hey, Shana, do all the work. One more thing. I... <laughs> Hold on, who, who edits this podcast? Who does all of the work for this podcast? Oh, you do. Okay. Okay. I love you. We're I right. love I'm you. I'm saying.
1: I know. Yeah. I was poking at you. Okay, so what were, were you going to say?
0: So, one more final bit that I wanted to um, throw in. Uh, Leela's name. Yes. Uh, and this is something I didn't know until I was reading about this episode to do the podcast. Mm-hmm. She's named after, um, and I, I may be mispronouncing this one, Leela Khaled. Uh, who was a terrorist in the 60s um, who was a Palestinian um, plane hijacking. So not like bombing. She never Mm -hmm. killed anybody. She's still alive. Um, But she was this very famous kind of um, female image of kind of Palestinian liberation in the 60s and 70s. Um, There's this very famous image of Lila Khaled, which is... um, she's wearing a uh, uh the headscarf and holding an ak-47 and you know this mixture of the femininity and the violence
1: i mean she's a revolutionary
0: yeah no um um a terrorist by means of plane
1: hijacking and you know there's some issues there but she's a revolutionary
0: so, yeah, so I apologize for not knowing more about, uh, I, you know, radical leftists in the 70s. That's not a <laughs> subject that. I, I mean, I, I legitimately feel bad that I did not know this woman's name until I did research for this. No, um, hey, so, you gotta learn. Um, but uh, she, she was a, and still is, a, a radical leftist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the people who listen to this podcast who think we are radical leftists... Lila Khalid is a is a real yeah. radical leftist. Um, no one died. She hijacked two planes. No one died in either of the uh, hijacking that she... Yes, uh, but... The organization she worked for, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, some of their operations did kill people. Um,
1: well, and to say she is a romanticized slightly or romanticized by some people i should say rather mm-hmm. a um feminine revolutionary but there are also people who see that as offensive romanticizing her mm-hmm. as figure i mean that's kind of enough for me to know like okay she's an important person in history i history will judge
0: like I think, I think I don't know enough about the situation, maybe. I, I think we'll read a little bit more about her, and we'll talk about Lila Colette a little bit more as we talk about Lila the character. Yeah. But certainly, like, the name coming from the idea that, that Chris Boucher kind of saw simultaneously, you know, the femininity in mm-hmm. this character, but also the violence and the, the mm-hmm. revolutionary fervor as mm-hmm. well. You know, that this person is both able to and willing to kill mm-hmm. for what she thinks is right. Mm-hmm. You know, the the violence alongside this very right. feminine... I think that that's, and he, that's a I mean, central point of who Leela of Seventeen is.
1: And yeah. I think he removes the kind of uh, then-contemporary political situation by saying, okay, well, we have this revolutionary character, but we'll make her from an ignorant society, so like how would this super revolutionary badass react to things if she had never seen them before right um so and i think that that's really interesting that he could see that kind of fervor from a a real life person and say well but let's use that kind of idea to present this new idea um which, again, good writing. Really good writing.
0: Very good writing. Um, one of the other stories he wrote is The Robots of Death, which is uh, phenomenal. I We're not going to do that one right away. The Robots of Death. Um, okay, that's just an
1: awful name. It's
0: also got uh, some lesbian subtext, um, which. You know, nice.
1: Yeah. Homework fantasy. Between you
0: know, one of the other characters and Leela, there's actually a bit of a, you know, some, some subtle stuff that we could talk about. It. Am I
1: going to start, like, debating that Leela's queer?
0: You might, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, I think we're, um, I don't know, any any further thoughts about uh, The Face of Evil?
1: No, I mean, I, I was very pleasantly surprised um, that there was only as much sexism as there was. Right. Which, you know, like... Again, with Classic Who, you kind of always have to say,
0: well... It, it, it gets graded on a curve. But there was definitely a sense of, like, when I yeah. first saw this, this is going to be awful. Yeah. And it's really not awful.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, now, am I going to maybe start wanting to not watch the behind-the-scenes stuff for every episode based off of Louise Jameson talking about her experience? Maybe. Because it sounds like it was really horrible to be a woman...
0: To be a woman in a leather bikini, a leather, a leather leotard yeah. uh, on the uh, set of Doctor Who in yeah. 1975. With a p- I, can you can you I mean are you surprised by that? The...
1: No, and I mean I know it would be just as bad now in some situations, um, except people could get sued for it, um, probably more easily, but it's. <sighs> sometimes you just want to suspend that fantasy of like
0: what i here's here's where i land on this and we'll talk a lot more about this in in our our next couple episodes but as good as the performance is and as amazing as Lily is and memorable as she is the fact that she had to put up with so much shit not just the sexism stuff which was but also tom baker being an absolute shit to her for Mm -hmm. the first at least the first few stories Only elevates her in my opinion. The
1: fact that she is able to deliver this performance of that is very controlled and thoughtful, and even though it's very simple, and then you hear like that the crew was like catcalling her Uh in between scenes, yep, and she had to keep that. Like I bow down to her. Like that is that is fucking Uhura level shit of being able to say like you know fuck you i'm gonna wear this short skirt but it's because i'm gonna be the black woman on tv in in a uniform and
0: and there is a i i may i may get you to listen to this there is an interview that the verity podcast did with mm-hmm. louise jameson yeah um and i know you don't really listen to podcasts but this interview is excellent and i would I think, listen to that i think uh, i'm gonna send that to you. maybe we'll talk mm-hmm. a little bit about in our next episode and in our next episode we're gonna talk about the invisible enemy
1: Wow yeah
0: you, actually there were invisible monsters in this one which I meant to talk about but it doesn't matter
1: yeah I don't love invisible <laughs> monsters. they're cheap and that's why they that's why they yeah exist. Um, but and they rely on a certain amount of performance that just is not realistic for
0: the effects were quite good I will yeah. say Matt Irvine did a great job yeah with the and the Horda you know you got yeah. the 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 land piranhas mm-hmm. so um was and cool. there's a crossbow in this we didn't even talk about the crossbow. Uh, there's uh, like we said There's a lot of stuff there's so
1: much going on with the story that we didn't even get to talk about some of the finer points of just like the ways that the sum of this is the, just the, a cool episode. The face
0: of evil is one that I think you could sit a new series fan down in front of and mm-hmm. say and not really give you any context and say just watch and enjoy. I think that you know, a lot of new series fans would, would get a lot out of this. There's mm-hmm. it feels sufficiently modern in a lot of ways. I mean I think you'd yeah. still kinda of laugh at the effects. But, yeah,
1: but I mean in a way that Like, yes, it is a Mount Rushmore of Tom Baker. Is it kind of silly in context? Still, yeah. But I think that even somebody, like, in the original showing Mm -hmm. of it, even though that was, you know, great technology or whatever... Um, I think that they would still be able to say it was a little silly, too.
0: Well, to, to me, the big silly things are the, like, the uh, laser beams that look terrible and the, uh, you know, electrified walls and the, I mean, there's a, yeah. there's some production stuff here that's just kind of like, okay, I get, I know, I know what you're going for. We're, I'm going to accept this, but wow, mm-hmm. did, that did not age well, but, um. Yeah, you know, when it looks like
1: we're... there's a piece of cardboard, like, or, like, actual paper on front of the film just, like, going yeah. by.
0: Whenever, Boom! whenever, whenever people, um. Make fun of the uh, the bubble wrap in the Arkham space. I always think about these, like, really crappy later Tom Baker era uh, laser effects as, like, the, the real nadir of, like, bad special effects in Doctor Who. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, we're not really talking about effects here. Although, next week, we're going to talk about the invisible enemy. So, look forward to that.
1: The way you're looking at me, I'm just, like... I apologize in advance for how grumpy I'm going to be, apparently. But we
0: get to, you're going to get to uh, be introduced to a brand new companion. Leela sticks around, and we get probably the most important companion of the classic series. K-9? K-9. K-9! K-9. Love him or hate him. And people do one or the other. It really seems to be... Um, I,
1: you know, I may actually hate him. I haven't seen that much he, of him. He's
0: he's kind of the Ewoks of the um, classic series. I think you know.
1: Oh, uh, you know he's, what I used to call Ewoks—teddy bear people.
0: You married a teddy bear person. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that know. I think it's time to uh, stop talking about the face <laughs> of evil right now. Final thoughts? Yeah. Anything? You done?
1: <laughs> I'm. Yeah. Apparently, I'm done. I'm... With our
0: marriage. Yeah. So done. All right, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, the uh, Coda here will give you uh, all our information about where we can find stuff next week. The Invisible Enemy. Mm-hmm. we got some cool stuff coming up. I think for the 50th episode in particular, there's going to be something cool.
1: Yeah, um, and to those we shout shouted out at, you know, give us a heads up on
0: Facebook. Yeah, Facebook, send us an email. Yeah. Always based on Thank you. Twitter, et cetera. And yeah. thanks for listening. That's, yeah. That's enough.
1: Yeah. Bye.
0: The TARDIS is closed. <laughs>
1: I can't do a TARDIS sound. Wham, No, wham,
0: wham. No, Bye. Bye. You can find all our episodes on iTunes or at oispaceman.libson.com. That's oispaceman.libson.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Follow Shana on Twitter or Tumblr at Inkyosa, that's I-N-K-Y-O-S-A, or Daniel at Daniel E. Harper at either location.